0: So ten years from now, you can look back in that podcast and say, "Wow, those guys were dead wrong or geniuses."
1: geniuses.
2: Welcome to the Mach One Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach One Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach One Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. We upload a brand new podcast every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.
1: If you have a question you want us to answer here on the podcast, just send an email to podcast at mach1fg.com. If you want to learn more about your financial future, you can schedule a free consultation with any of our advisors here at Mach1 with absolutely no obligation. Just head to Mach1FG.com for more information.
0: Well, welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment. This is episode number 70 podcast. Wow, can't believe we've been doing this this long. We've got Matt. We've got Matt Walters. We've got Matt Hagar. we got David Lee here. And we also have an audience in here, which will remain anonymous. Okay, <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about one of our favorite subjects. The Fed. Now, Matt's an expert on all this. Dave is going to keep him in check, and we're going to see how we get through this. But the Fed just came out with some announcements, and so we're going to discuss how that may impact the people that are listening and some of our clients.
1: So, Matt, I know you're pumped and ready for this. So, you want to start us off? Yeah. I think a good place to start is by saying what we've seen the last 10 years, I mean, going back to the, you know, the Great Recession, as they call it, and what the Fed has done, I think it's good to preface this with: nobody has a clue how this is gonna all unfold. It's <laughs> gonna so, unwind, so yeah. We have all our thoughts and opinions, and how we think certain things might impact markets and the economy. But we've literally never been here, or never seen what we've seen over the last decade. So what the next decade looks like, nobody knows. We'll, we'll all live to find out, hopefully.
0: But you've tuned into the right spot. So we're going to give you some ammunition. So ten years from now, you can look back in that podcast and say, "Wow, those guys were dead wrong or geniuses." Or or geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the Fed last week said they're going to taper back their bond buying program. Who knew they were buying bonds, David? Who knew? Who knew? Uh, they've
3: been—they've really never stopped buying bonds ever since. Um, you know, we were talking about 9-11 earlier before um, this podcast started, and so this goes. If you think about you know the last twenty years going back to nine eleven, that the market was already kind of starting to head down. We had the uh, what was it the tech bubble right. was going on uh, about that time. Then nine eleven happened, and that really sent the market into a tailspin for about a two year period there, from roughly two thousand to two thousand two, if I remember correctly. Then the market started kind of recovering from that. And then if you've watched any of our YouTube videos about demographics and the the impact that demographics have is we were we were just getting to the tail end of or uh, yeah the tail end of the baby boomer peak spending cycle uh if you don't know what i'm talking about look up our uh youtube channel and uh look at the uh video about demographics and consumer spending and so that uh that tapering off of the baby boom generation hitting peak spending was happening about the same time that the whole housing market crash was happening. And so we had this major crash, most people remember it, in 2008. Lehman Brothers failed, et cetera, et cetera. And about the only thing that the Fed could do to try to stave off that crash and prevent us from potentially going into a second Great Depression was to start what they called quantitative easing. At first they, if I, remember, if I remember right, I think at first they just called it stimulus. You also may remember they had the cash for clunkers deal, which is another form of just major stimulus. The government throwing tons of money at the problem to try to, to, try to stimulate consumer spending in, in different ways. All of that, um, throwing all that money at the economy to try to stimulate consumer spending was not enough to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, so to speak in the 2008 crash. So at that point, once they realized, this is David Lee's opinion, just kind of, you know, my assessment of what was happening back then, after the government threw all that money at the problem from the 2008 crash and realized that consumer spending just was not coming back, the only thing left to do at that point was for the Fed to step in. So the Fed became the major buyer. They started throwing tons of money at buying bonds, and they called it I think they just called it stimulus at first, if I remember correct. Then they changed the term to quantitative easing because there became this major outcry against the word stimulus because people were saying the government, and they were right. People were saying that the government was spending too much money and going far into, you know, deeper into debt far too quickly. So, in my opinion, they just changed the term to quantitative easing to kind of yeah. change it to re-branded a more politically. They <laughs> re- rebranded it. That's a good way of putting it, Matt. And but essentially this quantitative easing that we're talking about today has essentially gone on non-stop since the 2008 crash so talk Matt real briefly what is quantitative easing
1: yeah well I mean it's as simple as it's when the the Federal Reserve or Central Bank which is the Federal Reserve in our you know in the U.S they're buying bonds to keep pumping money into the system so they're building on their balance sheet right so the Fed you look And I don't have a chart or graph in front of me, but you look back, you know, early 2000s, 90s, like the Federal Reserve balance sheet was was very, very small compared to what it is today. And that's because they've just been buying and buying and buying bonds, which bonds are the issuance of debt, right? And so um, it's pumping more and more money into the system. And so the last, what Mike referenced a minute ago, the last update as of last week was, are we close to tapering or seeing some kind of change in that? policy.
0: Okay, for layman's terms, so they're, the government's buying all these bonds. What does that do to the price of the bonds?
3: Well, first of all, you got to realize they're. what are they buying the bonds with? Let me cover that before <laughs> I answer your question. What are they buying the bonds with? They're, well, they're they're literally creating money out of thin air electronically. People use the term "printing money," but we don't really print money anymore. We electronically create it. Add we, zeros. To we the add community. zeros to the end of the Fed's balance sheet, essentially, right? Yeah. And then they use the Fed. Then uses that money, and they essentially give an IOU to the Treasury. So the Fed is the primary source of the primary lending source to the United States Treasury. So the Fed creates the money on their balance sheet. They give an IOU to the Treasury, which is a bond, right? A bond is basically a debt instrument. So they're purchasing a U.S. Treasury from – or sorry, yeah, they're purchasing a Treasury from the Treasury. Um, And that, in turn, to answer your question, Mike, drives the price of bonds up and drives interest rates down.
0: All right. So so the government is in the business of buying all these bonds. If they're driving the price up, then they're paying more for debt, which – doesn't make a lot of sense. How does that interact with stock prices then?
1: Well, anytime. So, you know, stock, I won't get stuck on this too much, but, you know, a stock's publicly traded company, right? So it's the value that company, any company's potential worth or value increases when borrowing costs go down, right? They can go out and invest more in the business. They can buy other businesses. And so that's what a lot of these companies done is their borrowing costs have gone down to nearly zero, Right, I mean, you have companies like AT and and Amazon borrowing ten, you know, issuing ten-year bonds at like two percent. The fact that these companies can borrow money for that cheap is incredible. I mean, one, they don't really even need the money to begin with, but um, it it increases the value of the company. So that's hell. That's why one of the reasons why I think we've seen such a good run in the market is that you know borrowing has continued to go down and down, borrowing costs.
3: Yeah, so the other thing it does, Mike, uh, as the Fed continues to, you know, essentially drive interest rates down via the bond purchasing program known as QE that we were talking about earlier, not only does it stimulate more stock purchases, which drives the market up, like you were saying, Matt, it also, I mean, look at what it's doing to the housing market. Um, Interest rates are very, very low, lower than we've ever seen. So what does that do? That's that drives housing prices up, right? Because more people can borrow more money uh, to buy more house for the same monthly payment that a smaller house would have used to have cost because of the lowering of interest rates. So the ultimate impact of all this quantitative easing program is it stimulates consumer spending and and economic activity in different ways.
0: So buying all the bonds drives interest rates down. Okay, And so when you drive the interest rates down, then the stocks become more attractive because why would you buy a bond if the interest rates are are really low? They're not going to return anything. So you look for something better. And like Matt's saying, the prices of stocks have gone up and up and up based off of that. So and just kind of feeds on itself.
3: That's true, too. I mean, to to your point, what you're, what you're essentially saying is it's, it's forced people who would otherwise have money in fixed income investments of bonds or CDs it's forced them out of that. Well, where else can they really realistically go to? Right. They can go to the real estate market to buy real estate as an investment. What does that do to real estate prices? It drives it up supply and demand, or it drives them into the stock market. And so the same supply and demand forces affect the stock market and drive the market up. So, the ultimate impact of quantitative easing is it, it stimulates consumer spending and it stimulates the stock market.
0: And so now that the Fed says, you know what, we're going to start easing off of this, then what
1: could we most likely see happen? Well, this is the part no one truly knows. You know, we all have, I think, our different opinions, and you can look and try to piece some things together. But um, the it all in my opinion, it all matters, it all depends on how quick and how aggressive they get with it, right? If you remember last week when, the, when they announced it, the market was actually up. and I think a lot of that was because people have been anticipating this and expecting it. And so it's almost I think it, w- it would have almost been seen as a bad thing if they hadn't announced made that announcement because people would be like, okay, how, how long are we going to keep this thing going? So you know the market digested that and was actually up on, over the next day or two. So that wasn't a bad thing. Now, if all of a sudden they came out and were way more aggressive than what people expect or want them to be, that could have a negative impact on the market.
3: And, you know, my personal viewpoint, and this is the great thing about having a, a podcast, is that it's easy to look back. It, it will be easy for people to look back in time and say whether we were right or whether we were wrong. But my personal viewpoint for a long time has been uh, the Fed's. Never really going to increase interest rates. They're never really going to stop QE, and you know why? I I think it's because they can't. I don't know, David. <laughs> tell us why. I think it's because they can't afford to. I mean, what I don't know what the budget debt or what the national debt is right now. Trillions and trillions of dollars. They can't afford for interest rates to go up very much on that interest rate because then it then it bankrupts the country. So I've I've said for a long time. I think the Fed Will um, do virtually nothing about raising interest rates, or they'll maybe to please the markets or to, to not cause uh, to continue to have people have faith in the US dollar and in the Fed themselves. Maybe they'll continue to indicate that they're going to raise it, but it'll be so imperceptible that it won't really have any true impact on interest rates. That's what I believe. And I believe they will do that as long as they can, as long as they have the means to control that which really, uh, we could really go down a deep, uh, a deep hole here, but really means as long as the U.S. dollar may remains the world's reserve currency, the Fed will continue to keep interest rates at or near zero because they can't afford for it to do anything else. Once we lose that status as world reserve currency, the Fed loses control of the ability to do that. And if and when that happens, God forbid, it will change the economic situation in the United States overnight. And further dramatic, it will make it dramatically worse.
0: That'll be a whole nother series of podcasts there. But so let's just take uh, inflation right now. Let's talk about that for a second. So inflation, uh, depending on what you read, is anywhere between three and six percent versus last year. The Fed target is about two percent. And so now we're way over that, if that's the case. And most people think that the inflation we see now is transitory. Matt, what in the heck does transitory mean?
1: Yeah. Transitory just means um, it's, it's going to come and go. It's just for a period of time. It's because of a specific event in this case, you know, COVID supply chain issues, increasing the cost of goods, you know, ultimately leading to a spike of inflation in inflation, but that people believe it's transitory. think it's also going to kind of come back down and normalize. And that's just going to be a little blip. and not be longer lasting
0: and that's what the fed is expecting too they expected to level off around 2.1 2.2 percent but if they're wrong i mean the supply chain is messed up depending on what news you watch i mean it we are still struggling doesn't matter what kind of product you want to get there's a issue i was at sam's this weekend there's a limit on toilet paper again yeah. and paper towel yeah so we
3: were we were in colorado springs last weekend for my air force academy reunion could hardly find a rental car. So to your point, doesn't matter what product you're looking at, it, it the supply chain is messed up in a lot of areas.
0: So if inflation is not transitory, which we all hope it is, then we could really be in a pickle. And then who knows what's going to happen with the interest rates? Because you raise the interest rates, it'll slow that inflationary period down. That's the theory. But you heard it here first. David Lee doesn't think the interest rates are going to change. All right. Call us back in about 10 years to find out. <laughs> okay, David, so we've got this thing called the CPI, or Consumer Price Index. How does that have anything to do with what we've talked about today? Well, the, the Fed looks at CPI.
3: Consumer Price Index is what the CPI stands for. So it's a measure of inflation, right? There's consumer goods are going up in price. That's essentially inflation, right? When, if you have to go to the grocery store or the gas station, and it costs you a lot more due to inflation to buy those products, that's, that's a sign of real inflation that affects your pocketbook every day. Kind of like well, gasoline. Guess, last yeah. year,
0: it's a dollar more now than it was last year.
3: That's inflation. That's right. So the Fed and the government likes to, and the politicians like to try to, you know, uh, keep their headline inflation numbers low because it, you know, most people recognize that high inflation is a bad thing. A modest amount of of inflation is actually a good thing. We can save that topic for another podcast, but a a modest amount of inflation of 2 to 3% is actually healthy. You definitely don't want deflation. Again, we can talk about that in a different different podcast, Um, but a modest amount of inflation is really healthy. High inflation is not good. So, um, the CPI is a measure of how consumer prices, goods for different things are changing over time guess what the cpi does not include
0: let me guess let me guess matt do you know i'm gonna i'm gonna let david (laughs) what is it David?
3: it's food and energy oh no food and energy it does not count it does not include food and energy why do you think that might be
0: well let's see david let's see gas is up over a dollar so that's up 30 percent food depending on what you're buying is gone up like crazy if you can get it I would imagine they don't want those numbers in there because exactly. it's going to make it look
3: bad. That's what I think. That's uh, that's exactly what I think. Because if you included – now, they say it's because it's too, quote, unquote, volatile. Um, I think it's just because of what you said, Mike. Because if they included those, it would make the headline inflation number uh, reflect reality, which would not look good.
0: Well – Man, this has been an education today about inflation, consumer price index, quantitative easing. Man, we got a whole vocabulary we've added to today. That's all fine and good. But what should our listeners glean from all this? What takeaway should they have? Matt,
1: David, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we always talk about it, but I think it's another good point or time to make sure you have a plan and that you're prepared for all the potential scenarios. And so, you know, whether it be your portfolio or your emergency fund or your whatever it may be, just have a plan in place so that you're positioned. But, you know, as as we kind of start to get to this point where we see the Fed, you know, wanting to taper or maybe they start to increase rates over the next year or two, it will be interesting to see how the market reacts to that. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was talking about different U.S. recessions and how... You know, some recessions have been caused by economic activity. And then you have, like, the dot-com bubble, which was a U.S. recession literally caused by the stock market, right? So it'll be interesting to see over the next – and we will enter another recession at some point, right? It's inevitable. Um, It's a natural part of the markets and the economy. But what will be interesting to see is how – if rates do start to go up and they do start to taper, if if the re- next recession is due to a uh, you know decreasing consumer demand and decreasing spending, or if it's due to you know the market just panicking and selling off and then that kind of leading the recession, um, hindsight's always 2020. But we're at a d- interesting inflection point here, and nobody really knows exactly how it'll yeah. unfold. And I you know I think
3: the big takeaway since the the future is unknowable. It's always been that way. It always will be that way. The future is unknowable. But what, um, in light of what we talked about today, the fact that, you know, we're seeing inflation, who knows how long it's going to go on. Um, it's been a, um, time, time has shown it to be wise that you should have a portion of your portfolio invested in a way that's going to protect you from the forces of inflation. So, for example, if you're, getting older and you're retiring and it's natural for most people to want to pull their risk back somewhat as they approach retirement. We advocate that too here at Mach 1. However, you don't need to go overboard with that because if you take all of your eggs out and put them in the safe basket, now guess what you expose yourself to? You expose yourself to an inflation risk, right? So you need to have a portion of your portfolio Invested in things like the market and real estate, because if you have high inflation, guess what those asset classes do with high inflation? They go up. That's by nature of inflation. The value of the asset value gets inflated. So you need to have a portion invested in the market and or real estate and a portion safe. And as you get older, yes, the percentage of your assets that ought to shift to the safe side needs to go up. Our general rule of thumb is age minus 15. So take your age, subtract 15. That's a good approximation, in my opinion, for what percentage of your portfolio ought to be safe.
1: Yeah, I think another thing, and this just came to mind, we haven't talked about it all today, but in the near term, what will be interesting to see with everything that's going on is the labor market. And, you know, cause consumer demand has still been high. People have been out spending and some of the numbers have even been kind of surprising of how good they've been on the consumer spending side of things. What hasn't been good is the labor market and how f- many jobs are out there and how few people are out there trying to get them yeah. and how that unfolds. And if consumer demand, you know, that's not sustainable. If consumer demand stays high and the, the supply chain and the, the goods, can't keep up prices are going to go up yeah Supply that's going demand. and bigger corporations can eat you know pass those costs along can eat a little bit better than your mom and pop local but there's businesses. even a limit even for them but there's yeah so that that is something every, and i'm reminded of it every day as i'm driving to work or back home and you see the hiring bonus yeah. signs and you're kind of it's kind of right in your face it's like okay how long is this going to last
0: so it sounds like we need a plan If you're out there, you're listening to this, and you don't have a plan, whether it's for inflation or for consumer prices going through the roof or for retirement, you need a plan. Everybody needs a plan, and of course, plans don't work. You adjust them as we go along, and that's part of what we do here with our retirement flight plan, and that fits right in with our thought of the day today, and it is, remember, when disaster strikes, the time to prepare has passed when disaster strikes, the time to prepare has passed. Well, folks, that's it for the Mach 1 Market Moment. We thank you for listening to us, and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment.
2: Situation. For full disclosures please visit www.mock-1financial.com/disclosures